these incredible tools and digital learning in general will work for us. But as I said earlier, the risk is that we think this is about content creation and we operate from a top-down perspective continually. And then we still wonder with these smart tools why we're still not getting people to use them. And the buck stops right here with learning and development. It's, I'm so optimistic, Nick, about what this can do for our, uh, our function, our profession, but it doesn't, it will not, and it will hamstring us if we, uh, if we think about this wrong. Welcome to the HR LND podcast, where we explore cutting edge HR trends and best practices with top leaders who are shaping the future of work. My name is Nick Day, and I'm founder of JGA Recruitment Group, a specialist HR search firm. I'm also a qualified executive coach and a recognized HR thought leader listed on Thinkers360. Together, we're going to dive into topics from diversity and inclusion to technology, learning curation and employee experience to help you evolve your people and your development strategies. So whether you're a flourishing HR executive, a rising manager or a seasoned CHRO who's driving transformation, this podcast is for you. So grab your coffee and let's play. Hello and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO at JGA Recruitment Group, and we're specialist HR recruiters. And today I am joined by David James, who's Chief Learning Officer at 360 Learning, formerly Loop, and he has been a people development professional for more than 20 years, most notably as Director of Talent Learning and OD for the Walt Disney Company, with a remit that spanned across Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Now, David is also very familiar with the world of podcasting. He's the host of the Learning and Development Podcast, so he's already an expert in engaging audio audiences, so I think today should be a fascinating conversation. He's also a prominent writer and a conference speaker on topics all around modern and digital L&D practices. Now, today we're going to be talking more about how to make digital learning work. We are, of course, in a world of generative AI. We've got ChatGPT and other things influencing the market. So we're going to be diving into that in a lot more detail. I'll be asking David in the context of his role as Chief Learning Officer at 360 Learning, a company which uses AI and collaborative features to turn your in-house experts into L&D collaborators to guide us all on how we can upskill fast and continuously all from within your own organizations, which is critical because you are the HR leaders that are driving the organizations of tomorrow. So stay tuned because without further ado, I would like to welcome David James to the HR LD podcast. How are you feeling today, David? Uh, I'm very good. Thanks, Nick. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Fantastic. Great to have you here. I'm going to start with my first question, something I ask all of my guests, which is this. What do the words human resources mean to you? Uh, Nick, I hate the words human resources. Well, I love the human part, but the resources part, uh, I don't like. Uh, I know that it's been a, uh, a, a hot topic or a conversation point for many, many years. And uh, and I started my uh, my learning and development career in training and development when we were part of the personnel uh, team. And I know that human resources was a rebrand of personnel to take it away from administration uh, into something that was more uh, all-encompassing and business-focused, but uh, uh, but I can't be the only person who doesn't like to be labelled a resource, uh, whether that's to my face or behind my back or uh, an overall moniker. Uh, I think it's uh, I, th- I think we're living in much more progressive times. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of people experience. Uh, I think think that um, that that if we find ways of um, uh, of, of creating experiences where people 
can operate at their optimum, getting the right people in, uh, as well as preparing uh, the people to do, be doing the right things. Uh, I think that we're we're along the right lines, but I, but I'm hoping that uh, that that very surely human resources will have its day, uh, because I'm not sure it, it uh, uh, with with the term itself it brings out the best in us. Now I think there'll be a lot of people listening to this that would agree with you. So let me ask you the question then: If it's had its day, what would you replace human resources with? What would be the new term? People is the one we hear most mm. most of all. Chief people officers now replacing uh, chief human resources officers. What would what would be your chosen term for for replacing human resources? Yeah, I think people experience. I think that uh, nice. that um, that that while whilst uh, the recruitment side is uh, is one element, it is you know is what what is it one. Th- Fifth of, uh, of the human resources experience, and I think that the other four uh, are focused internally. Uh, people are uh, are interested in about their experience as as employees, as workers, as team members, uh, and I think that uh, the recognition that we're people and that our experience is important. I think as a as a label and as a brand, it's more appealing than uh, than than the term human resources, which I still think as an association has uh, has its roots in administration. Um, but uh, but with a with a, a career of, of of nearly 25 years now in HR, I know that it it is and can be a whole lot more. So so I'm uh, I'm part of the people experience brigade, and uh, until convinced otherwise. Now nah, people experience, I like it. So let's listen. I gave a, a brief introduction to your background, but mm. um, 25 years, you, you've you've been immersed in the world of learning and development. You've been a pioneer in trying to push the narrative, bring it up to date. We've now got generative. Uh, um, AI, which talks about brief introduction as well, which is kind of changing everything again. And there are a lot of people resistant to change uh, in, in all in all sectors, to be fair. It's not limited to HR and L&D. But tell us a little bit about some of your work, how you've seen the market change over the last 25 years. You've worked at senior level roles. You're now at C-suite level. Um, that, that's kept you motivated and kept you focused and kept you passionate about driving the L&D industry forward. Uh, well, um, I suppose I'm passionate now because I think that there is a huge opportunity for us. I think learning and development is one of the most popular parts of uh, of any organization, but it's one that's also riddled with anxiety because we don't know whether what we do works uh, or whether it delivers us an intended uh, impact. It's very easy to, to make a case for learning and development in that uh, some of the unintended consequences of bringing people together is just good, isn't it? Um, you know, sure. there's, there's, you know, this is this is over four hundred billion dollar annual uh, market, you know, industry learning and development, and for us to not know whether what we're doing is making a planned impact is frankly not good enough. And I think um, that that um, for for the whole time I've been in learning and development, there's been this. Um, uh, I don't know. There's there's almost like two camps. There is either those who are fully entrenched in in face to face, and those who are huge digital advocates. Um, but I think that we we've got ourselves into a tricky position where that is a legitimate conversation because we just don't know what works. I'll give you a, an example: is that uh, that in an, any organisation with with more than a few hundred people in, or a few thousand people in, you can't avoid the need for for digital learning. Um, the the uh, opportunity to upskill and reskill people at scale is uh, is non-negotiable. But there is so much money in digital learning that that's probably the area that we have the least oversight for, for whether it actually makes an impact. I would go so far as to say that with the hundreds of billions that are spent on 
uh, digital learning every year globally, I'd say only a tiny fraction of that can actually be attributable to helping people to do what it is that they're in our organizations to do. I mean, when you think about it, Nick, there's uh, usually vast suites of uh, uh, of generic off-the-shelf content that is completely remiss of any context whatsoever to do with an organization. Sure. And that is our go-to for upskilling our people. When in my experience of in-house, I'd say 90% of all the learning needs emanate from the questions, how do you do the right things around here, marrying the technical aspect of a role to the cultural aspect. And we're not just talking uh, when I'm... If I mention culture, it's not just about generally how things are done here from a from a behavioral um, uh, perspective or environmental, but culture is uh, is everything from uh, our team members and our leaders. Uh, to our structures and hierarchies, to our systems and processes, our stakeholders, clients, and customers, everything um, is is packaged up in how things need to be done here in order to get the right results. And I'm afraid. That, that we have such low expectations of what digital can do that we think vast suites of, of generic content can be the answer. But we only think that because we don't do enough analysis. We don't really understand the problems that we, that we seek to, to address. We don't understand the consequences of those or what it is that we actually expect people to do. So on the surface, 10 million pieces of content looks as if that might be uh, a good uh, a good starter i mean i think that a lot of these are built on the uh, bought on the premise that if we have 50,000 people and there are 10 million bits of content then there must be something for everyone right but the thing is but without the analysis and without linking the technical aspects to the cultural aspect then it's largely redundant and people actually uh, the employees will vote with their with their attention and engagement and whilst we we we're told a lot of the time that that people um uh uh, attention spans are much shorter. I'm actually um, uh, a lot more, uh, uh, I'd say, uh, philanthropic around this because I I believe that that people have grown an intolerance to stuff that doesn't add value, and I think that they have shorter attention spans for the stuff that they anticipate won't be worth it. And I think that learning and development, especially in digital, has fallen into that trap. It's people don't see the value, so they don't engage, and we are left with. Billions spent every year on stuff that doesn't make much of a difference. Yeah, you know what? An impassioned response, which I like. And um, I'm seeing similar, I'm hearing and seeing similar things in the HR industry, right? I think there's been mm. a, uh, as a lot of, uh, I think trust might be the right word. People don't always trust that the LD um, investments they're going to make is going to work for them. And I do think there's been such a plethora of, of new content hitting the market. Mm. AI is part of that as well, because I can create an LD course in two you know two minutes on chat gpt without the context piece without the knowledge behind it and put it out there as a course and start selling it and i think that's that's um manifesting itself now in a lack of trust in the market as to whether we're going to make that investment how do we know it's going to work so what's the answer what do we need to do to make sure we're able to track whether or not an lnd um initiative investment is actually going to work with all that challenge you've just highlighted there um very articulately as well i may add what's what's the answer what do we do right so first of all i'll tell you that top down lnd is never ever 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 going <laughs> to work it hasn't for the, the 25 years i've been in and we've and we've seen this it just doesn't work because you're trying to turn um, uh, local uh, needs, um, you're trying to aggregate them up to, to common needs and then bring them down a standardized 
content for which people have attended programs for decades now and not know why they're there. And it's because of the distortion that is uh, that's been done. Uh, that learning and development has thought was absolutely necessary in order to to develop people at scale, but it will never, ever work. Um, what will work is the analysis of actual problems, some critical points of failure in any organization. And I say that because it's not necessarily about creating the content that people need. It's them recognizing that they have a need. Now, there, there, there are periods in an employee's journey when they are absolutely crying out for our help and we are nowhere to be seen. Um, all of those are during periods of transition as you go into an organization, as you join a new team, as you're expected to operate at a different level, perhaps in a different function. And learning and development are largely not there apart from right on the first day when we're overwhelming people with far too much information they could possibly hold that could possibly be useful. But when they make a transition to, to manager or leader, where are we? Where are we to answer the actual questions that they have and to guide and support them to do the actual work they're employed for? I've done plenty of these of, uh, of, uh, of uh, employee experience mapping uh, where you'd ask people what it is that they wish they'd known when they first operated at a certain level or came into the organization. And it's stuff like, I'd love to know what the job was. That was something we had for first line managers. Now, for those people who are attending a, their first line manager course, nine months or a year after they've joined that, it's too late. The opportunity to guide and support them to do more of the right stuff has actually left us. So here, so, so I'm gonna jump back to something you, uh, you mentioned in your question there, because generative AI has the opportunity to uh, make our lives um, a lot easier in learning and development by really helping employees themselves. But I'll pick you up on something you said here because this is the, the narrative seems to be around generative AI that it's going to allow us to build faster courses. Now, that reminds me of Henry Ford. You ask, you ask people what they need, they want faster horses. Do you know what, Nick? The secret is this could eliminate courses, but we don't see that. We think learning and development is about courses, and it's not. When you think, what are, what are those courses for? It's to guide and support people to do more of the right stuff at the time that they actually need it. It's about performance. Now, uh, Microsoft uh, linking uh, generative AI into their uh, their office suite as co-pilot is the clue about where this is going to go. It's not about learning. It's about guiding and supporting people to do more of the right stuff when they're faced with unfamiliar situations and challenges for the very first time. And imagine you don't need a course for that. And I think that's the that's the power of AI. It will help to recognize where there's a critical point of failure in our organization, highlight those people who are responsible for that work, and then almost like 10-pin bowling, put the guardrails up so they can't miss. So, so we'll eliminate a lot of the administration, the stuff that's keeping people from the, the, um, uh, the, the human work, the, the, the creativity, the critical thinking, the problem solving, the relationships, and all of that great stuff. But it will also ensure that in the culture of our organizations that we're prompted, nudged and guided to do more of the stuff that's going to get us the results and not try to fill our heads up, give us facile tests um, and then see whether we've passed so that at some undetermined time in the future, we'll be able to employ that stuff. No, it's uh, you know, it's it's not it's not there to make learning and developments, course creation and delivery life easier. This is the absolute switch around. This is aimed at and for employees to help them to do what they are trying to do, but better. And I think that learning and development need to wake up and catch up to that news because 
if we think it's about faster courses, this is this is a the Henry Ford moment all over again. I'm loving the passion. I think in relation to the faster courses, I'm not saying that's by no stretch measure was I saying that's the answer. Mm. I'm saying it's a risk. I think some of this lack of yeah. trust comes in because people are able to, to, to try and make an attempt at making a quick buck here. And I mm. think that is damaging the industry from a trust point of view because the standard of those courses or or the content is so poor. But Two questions that come to mind. One is hopefully a, a quick to answer questions. I'd like to answer, usually answer one at a time. I'll ask you two in one go. <laughs> First is, how much that four hundred pound billion, uh, four hundred billion pound um, spell on indeed? Do you think is wasted? Question one. But I also want to bring you back before I forget. So I'm going to answer it now. You mentioned right at the start in your first answer that one thing we often lack when it comes to taking off the shelf L and D packages, one of the better way of putting it, is the context of our culture, the context that we need to utilize it. So a question that comes to mind for me when we're talking about generative AI in the context that you've talked about it there. And I can understand exactly how that could be amazing. Right? It could transform the way we, we approach it. However, AI typically doesn't understand context. Robots don't can't contextualize things in the way that humans can. So is there a risk there that we then start relying on Microsoft to understand the weaknesses and Microsoft to find solutions when actually Microsoft doesn't understand the context in which the challenges have risen? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So your um in response to your first question there, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a uh, there was a report um that was um uh that was done in 2016 called the Great Training Robbery and within that and it was it was done by part of Harvard although it's not on Harvard's business review. They they stated that uh, through their their um, their own research only 10% of learning and development initiatives were um uh, were attributable to actual results, to actual plan results. So we have a ninety. According to that, we have a ninety percent waste rate. So, so of four hundred billion dollars, there's a hell of a lot of waste to be trimmed off of there. Um, and and and, down, and and I think that's down to that learning and development see their role as delivering and providing learning, and that is nonsense. It is um, Elliot Maisie once said on a, on Bob Mosier's Performance Matters podcast the learning and development have confused their role with publishers it's not about making stuff available it's about actual business enablement and you do that via uh, individual and collective empowerment of individuals and teams uh, as well as helping to address some of the systemic issues that are leading to perhaps um, uh, less than optimum performance uh, but then when it comes to uh, to AI, it's a, it's a really good question because we're still in the earliest stages of understanding the possibility of generative AI. But uh, but remember that it's that all it does, it doesn't seek to understand. It's um, it's it's uh, looks to uh, replicate language patterns. So so the way that's that, um, you know, and there, there are several on the market right now. Um, uh, Bill Gates, in a in a in an article that was published only days ago, said that this was the um, that generative AI is going to have a, a, as bigger impact on anything that he's seen since he since 1980, when um, uh, the, the the very foundation of operating systems came about. So he's completely neglected within there um, web search. And I don't don't know about you, Nick, um, but I I thought it was going to be bigger than uh, you know the the last big change would have been uh, web search because I I remember going to college and going on the internet in about 1998, um, and I and it was a dreadful experience, and I didn't try again to go on the internet for two more years, uh, and of course web search completely changed the game. So yeah. so generative AI is going to be at least as big a change to us as as web search was when when uh, when Google or 
uh, or, or other search engines categorize the world's information via hyperlinks and then uh, and then AI in order to find us the most appropriate search. So instead of trying to find us the most appropriate search, it's going to tell us the answer. It's going to tell us the answer and it's going to give us all of those references. But that's not the power of, of generative AI in organizations. You would turn that in on your internal documents. So it doesn't just tell you how to do things, but there is also the collective know-how and wisdom of the people who successfully navigate your organization. So they give you the how, the cultural aspect. And of course, it's not going to be 100% right, but that's not the aim. That's not the end game with generative AI. Through feedback, iteration, and um, uh, uh, and not just its own machine learning, but also the input of others, that could be refined over time. So, so within six months, you could be guided, new people could be guided in their roles to be doing things far more usefully than before. And I think that what's really important to recognize here is so little of learning and development is designed to guide and support people during their transitions and during periods of enforced adaptation. They're designed uh, to isolate skill sets and then build up regardless of context. That's what uh, our courses and our content, uh, we thought that's all they could do. But what generative AI uh, is going to replace is fumbling along and making the same mistakes or solving the same problems that have already been solved thousands of times in any large organization. So it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, falling through the crack of all the stuff that's falling through the cracks that you learn uh, or you didn't learn tacitly. And some of the reasons, you'll know this for, from recruitment, some of those reasons that people weren't successful within their roles because the, the tacit know-how was rubbing up against what they thought the reason for their, for their hire was. This is going to guide and support them to do more of the right stuff, uh, opening up culture. So it's so it's tangible so that so that people can actually feel it, see it and experience it and use it to their own advantage. I see that as the huge opportunity. So it's not replacing anything, but it will certainly elevate the role of learning and development to be doing uh, to adding value in ways that the organization could only dream of before. I like the idea that I mean, it's not it links for me in the way that I'm visualizing this and understanding your, your responses here, that it's not a million miles away from what we're trying to establish through developing a coaching culture, which is, mm. well, I, I mean that by the way that it gives the employees the opportunity to ask the questions that they need the answers to rather than the managers telling us what they think we need to know. I think that's what I really love about this kind of response. I've got a problem in real time. I'm able to identify them having the same issues. I can ask how to have it solved in my own way, and it will hopefully generate a, a, a learning pathway that allow me to, to fill that gap. What about the um, the quality control piece? So if we use some of these uh, software, if they go out to the internet and it comes back with the answer, right? And I understand that concept, but there are lots of lots of content, lots of language on the internet. Not all the answers are correct. So what's the process for understanding whether the content coming back, those answers coming back, are the right answers or the correct answer answers we should be listening to? Okay, so I think that that it's important to like the learning and development should be looking at the inward part. So, so, so I'd say that uh, that where uh, generative AI is right now, it's like having um, it would be like having a subject matter expert who's got about who's whose knowledge is about seventy percent there. So, so were you to ask internally, um, how do, how do I raise my profile and get support for my ideas? Right. So, so that, I mean that is going to be unique in most organisations at least like nuanced. And so so to go internally and get that, I'd say that that yeah, there is there is a role, but there, but there's there's two quality um assurance levels. There's there's one that could be played by learning and development, 
uh, or subject matter experts. So uh, say, for example, um, that if you were if you if your intention was to build up a bank of resources or courses that answer these questions, then you could you could quality control that. But what's built into generative AI is also the feedback, was this useful? And again, what we've got to think about is what's this replacing? It's probably only replacing turning around and asking the person next to me. Now, I don't quality assurance Margaret when, when with that, the answer that she gives or, or Trevor on the other side. I take their word and I give something a go. Um, but but it will iteratively get better from the feedback of the user. Sure. You know, we, we're, we're not asking them uh, remember that these questions aren't going to be how do I design the killer products and launch this tomorrow behind the CEO's back? It's yeah. simply how do I do enough of the right stuff in order to get me currency in this organization, support for my ideas, uh, and then uh, enhance my own uh, reputation as an employee? That I mean, this is in a in the grander scheme of things, this is it's only going to be like asking one or two other people uh, around you for uh, for answers. But where I see the real power in this, Nick, isn't in I'm in a situation, I wonder what I should do now. It's in the anticipation of needs. Because when you're new to a role or, or an organization, I remember the first time uh, somebody said to me, it was only my first few weeks at Disney, and they said, David, could you do a course on, uh, on working in a matrix organization? And I went, What's a matrix organization? They went, it's what you're operating in now. Like, you know, we go, I just spent two months not knowing what on earth a matrix organization. I've got this need and I didn't even know I was in one. So, so generative AI, you know, there, there was all this, all this talk this year of, uh, of the new roles it's going to create, like prompt engineer, which is how do you ask the right questions? I, I think that's, a, that's going to be a need probably until the end of this year, until the, the technology advances to such an extent. You don't need to be. Uh, sure. so specific about what you put in but there is a role here for guiding and supporting people to do enough of the right stuff so this is where i see that learning and development won't necessarily be taken a back seat while the ai or the or the tech now drives uh, i think the language that um that um uh, microsoft would use with copilot is really useful here that that learning and so so the copilot or the generative ai can help you get to the needs understand the needs get the data regarding those needs isolate the the cohort responsible for the work and get you uh, 70% of the, the local know-how in order to plug those gaps in a way that learning and development couldn't have dreamed of before. And that's why we rely so heavily on top-down initiatives. But if you've got a co-pilot that helps you with all of this stuff, imagine with the conversations to understand what those needs are, the relationships uh, that you build with those stakeholders, the, the empathy that required for working in partnership with the people responsible for the work and those ongoing relationships, building those feedback loops so that what's tried today makes starts making an immediate impact on both performance and results, but will only improve over time. I think the, the opportunity and, and also to bring HR together so that because we all know that to that 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 people to some extent behave a certain way, especially established middle managers. Because they're rewarded for that. And, the, and unless sure. we change the reward mechanism, then they're unlikely to change at all. So, so imagine that you're bringing this all together and say they're probably behaving like that because compensation is built into that. That's what their job family and, and job description actually dictates that why, why they do. And, why, and if we get a co-pilot that can recognize that in seconds and say this is probably why that cohort is working like that, again, You've you've gained more insight than you possibly could by doing all that manually. 
Great. So let's, let's suggest that I'm a, an HR professional listening to this now, and I've been taken by your passion here for the subject. <laughs> so I'm bought into the fact that David here has 25 years experience in the sector and is really t- taking the industry forward and very passionate about it. I think, you know what, my LND strategies aren't working at the moment, and I want to make a change, and I want to take on some of the, uh, the the learnings from what David said and implement it in my own organization. How can we make digital learning work? What can, What's the next step you suggest an HR director, or HR manager, or an indeed a leader, uh, perhaps is listening to this show right now, took next? So, so I'd say that this all starts with, uh, with Nick answering the question, why are we here? Now, the reason that that is such an important question is that 20 years ago, the music industry and the people that made a lot of money from the music industry the way that it was, all lost. Uh, that is music, that is record companies, that's music publishers, that especially was high street music um, retailers, because there was so much money to be made um, in selling physical copies. And so they, ter- they, they decided that with streaming, they were going to just replicate their current model, and you were going to go into hmv.com and buy your physical record and then, uh, you know, maybe come back next month. And um, uh, whether it be Napster, whether it be uh, iTunes, and then immediate uh, in the end, Spotify, they had a very different vision. They didn't look at the market and say, how do we rinse this market? Or how do we get people in L&D? How do we get people to engage in our stuff? You've got to rewind and go, what do your people, your customers actually want? They don't want faster courses. They don't want more engaging courses. They don't want a, a, a vast library. They want to be able to do the jobs better and faster. And they want to improve their prospects. That's that. But if we if we break that down as to why we're actually here, we will look at the technology landscape and we will determine how best to use these incredible tools to help our clients to do what they are trying to do better. The market is going to be really noisy. The market's going to tell you you want faster courses, but you will not go wrong if you stay really aligned to what your organization needs, because these powerful tools will help you to do that. But we have to be really clear about why we exist. And, and if we're not, if that doesn't start and end with the people that uh, need our help to do the jobs and get the results during periods of we, we think this year um, is going to be uh, fast in terms of uh, um, the requirement of people to, to upskill and reskill. This is only going to get faster. And so if it starts with us, then we understand what we're here to do then these incredible tools and digital learning in general will work for us. But as I said earlier, the risk is that we think this is about content creation and we operate from a top-down perspective continually. And then we still wonder with these smart tools why we're still not getting people to use them. And the buck stops right here with learning and development. It's, I'm so optimistic, Nick, about what this can do for our uh, our function, our profession, but it doesn't. It will not, and it will hamstring us if we uh, if we think about this wrong. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting, and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 
800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. And that comes across. It comes across. It's great. I'm loving the energy. I hope the <laughs> listeners are getting that too. Well, let me let me ask you then, because let's be fair, I've I've asked you questions that have um encouraged a, a selling response, shall we say? And I wanted wanted to, to to paint the picture for people. It's a it's an area of um you're really, really passionate about, of course, as 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 chief building officer for 360 Learning. So, but actually, although you've sold generative AI and sold the future of what the LD industry could look like if we start to embrace it. Actually, you're all about the doing and always have been. So tell the audience a little bit more about what, what work you're doing at the moment. What's the work that you're currently involved in? Um, you're all about practicing what you preach as well. So given this is a little bit of insight into, into your, your, current, uh, your current work um, that you're involved in and also 360 Learning as well. Yeah, sure. So, so, um, so just in essence, like, uh, 360 Learning uh, recognizes that uh, the, 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 the local know-how required to help people to do their job uh, the vast majority sits within your organization. It's the it's the antithesis of the um, buy, buy a behemoth system with with multiple content plugins. Uh, the more you have, the more engaging it is, the more people will love it. And then uh, consumption equals competence, which we know is nonsense. Um, so so what it does is it uh, it um, it challenges all of that uh, and equips your local subject matter experts with an with an easy tool in order to to respond to identified learning needs bottom up so that people can do more of the right stuff within the organization there's a feedback loop within it as well that challenges uh, both content usefulness uh, but uh, but really it is a, it is the the world's number one collaborative learning tool uh, that is focused on helping your organization to do what it what is required so um, so 360 Learning um, uh, is uh, is on a, on a massive development drive right now in order to make the tools easier and more accessible to do just that. But it is laser focused on uh, on performance and outcomes of the people that uh, that uh, that are seeking to engage in that. But Nick, you asked the question, what uh, what we're working on? Uh, AI has has kind of uh, you know whilst, whilst it's always been in the background and helped with uh, with smart recommendations. Uh, I think that that's probably been the the most common. Uh, application of AI over over the last few years, uh, with the advancements in AI, we are looking like probably like many vendors are right now about how we utilize that so that we get our customers' learning and development out of the weeds, out of the administration, um, and so they are able to do the the high value analysis. Um, and uh, and stakeholder management as well as coaching that they need to with their clients because there's no need for them anymore to uh, I suppose it's a, it's an outdated model to work for the for the computer always always uh, or the or the system I always found uh, the the role of LMS administrator the most dystopian uh, in our profession <laughs> imagine that you work for this dumb tech. Uh, that everyone hates. Um, uh, you know, the world. The world's changed now. Um, that uh, that 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 we've got smart tech that can, if it's not at least one additional team member for you because of the hard work that it's doing, then it's uh, then then it it's simply not. It's not the tech. Uh, it's not modern enough. It's not. Uh, it's not. It's not picking up the uh, that burden. So that that's kind of the uh, the the stuff we're working on, what we stand for. Um, but uh, but where the focus is, I think that uh, I wrote a uh, a piece for Forbes in January, and it was uh, um, <laughs> the very essence of it was is I took pretty much all of December off, Nick. I was in a very fortunate position. I moved house, um, I'd saved up all my holiday, and then uh, but a couple of days in, I thought. 
what am I going to start writing about this year? And when I logged on, I was like, oh, my goodness. I felt like Superman is Superman 2 when uh, when he goes away uh, with Lois Lane for a little bit. And he misses the news that these three super baddies have taken over the world. Uh, and, I, you know, I came back and I thought, what on earth is chat GPT? Um, but, uh, but, uh, but I wrote this article for Forbes in January talking about what the potential of future iterations might be after chat GPT-3. Uh, and it takes about three weeks for, for articles to be published. And by the time it was published, chat GPT-4 was out. And within it were some of the things that I predicted would be in future iterations. So within one month, what I thought was a future projection was just, you know, publicly available. So I think that this year is going to be a hold on to your seats, uh, hold on to your hat, um, because I think that we're in for a wild ride. And some of the things that we didn't think would be possible, um, I think that will be easily accessible and free to us and our uh, and our client groups. So we'll be looking and reassessing the value that we can add in the face of these advancements rather than all we thought we could do with the resources available to us. Yeah, nice. Well, I'm going to pick up some of the, the language you've used there. So one, one earlier on in, in your response, you said they're coming out of the weeds, so to speak, for L&D, and, and you mentioned um, creating more value. So with those kind of words in mind, what could, what should L&D leaders be doing now then to ensure that they're able to demonstrate impact? They, they want to take this forward. They want to have an impact. They want to be able to measure that. I think we said right at the start of the show, um, there's loads of courses where we fail or many L&D or organizations rather fail to measure the impact of those courses therefore most of them are inefficient what, what would you recommend right so i think we cover this uh, from two angles number one there is impacting the actual work being done and the results that that people need to get now we should only really be working on critical points of failure uh, where things aren't working in our organization and we're missing out on uh, we're losing money, customers, opportunity, uh, or, or whatever's important to our, our organization, uh, but also helping people as they make transitions because, because there's a big risk. If people are brought in, the expense that, it's, that, that it costs, especially at a senior level, for losing out on, uh, on uh, good people. So, so over this side, there is both aligning ourselves to the actual problems, analyzing them enough, and then working iteratively in order to address them. Uh, now, that's hard, and sometimes learning and development aren't invited into those conversations or might be uh, kept at arm's length. But the one on the other side, I think, is our absolute sweet spot. There's a lot of talk in, uh, organ in uh, learning and development circles about upskilling and reskilling. And I always ask the question, what for? Why? And then we get a long-winded answer, which pretty much leads to internal mobility. Right. So so if you are if you are upskilling people or reskilling, especially reskilling, then you're preparing people for jobs that we need or um, roles that we need now or we need in the uh, very near future. And with a tight jobs market uh, as well right now, we should be aligning ourselves to our our company's internal mobility um, metrics. Um, I was talking to uh, to an HR leader very recently who said they had a, a, a high churn problem, uh, but also that they were hiring um, an enormous amount uh, up to, I think, about 70 percent uh, um, of hires were external. And I said, can you not see the correlation between these two things? What are you doing to actually 
um, uh, facilitate or, or activate internal mobility. I said that's where that's what your L and D spend should be focusing on um, as a success measure. And so that's where I stand there. Everything else is almost superfluous, Nick. We would talk about that four hundred billion dollars uh, globally spent on learning and development that we don't know whether it makes a difference or not. Those are the only two metrics that ma- that matter. That people can actually do the job and deliver the results that they're expected to, but not on an individual basis. I mean, that's that's L&D upside down for no reason. These are critical points of failure that mean that the, the organization is missing out on opportunity or, or good people or money in some way. And the other side is internal mobility. If we are doing make, spending all this money on learning and skills platforms and initiatives in order to upskill and reskill, then the what for, the what on earth for, has got to be our internal mobility. And again, this is HR joined up with workforce planning, with talent acquisition, with talent management and compensation and benefits uh, to make sure that, that, that what we spend equates to uh, to demonstrable um uh, impact no i love that i mean i've got my recruitment siren going off now which there wasn't that <laughs> where i'm supposed to go on these shows but you know it, it's a bit like the um you know, pay cheap pay twice so you've got to look at where your output mm. is and where where can you maximize your investment if that's in upscaling or reskilling intelligently um then you're going to see better retention better ability to attract because you have a better workforce and that will come through the market anyway whether people are reviewing on things like Glassdoor, whatever it might be if you get it right, people talk and refer. By the same instance, I'd, I'd flip it back to recruitment. If there's loads and loads of churn, it's often because we're not willing to invest initially in a specialist, of which I am one of others as well that exists out there. But actually, if you work with a partner who knows what they're doing and can identify the talent and all the training requirements, whatever it is, you may pay a little bit more initially, but you pay less in a bigger scheme of things. It's about getting it right. And whatever that is, whether that's recruitment, whether that's learning and development, or whatever part that comes under the HR HR arena, but I think I think you know, got my recruitment uh, siren going when you were talking about the talent piece because you know I see so often people don't invest in the right places. They try and do it cheaply or or, or quickly. The speed thing comes in and it falls down. Sometimes uh, slow down to speed up, as they say. Sometimes work. So taking it forward for you, can L and D realistically be expected to reliably improve working? as it is at the moment, or does it now need to, on the back of this show, you want people to go, right, listen to me, we need to stop and start again and change, or or can we still get there going as we are? Uh, there is this lovely phrase, and it comes from uh, the forward of a book written in 1969 uh, that was uh, um, uh, that was alerted to me from Guy Wallace. Guy Wallace is, uh, is a uh, is a a learning and development expert and uh, and a mentor of mine who's been in the field since 1979. So he sent this to me, it was 1969. And the words were, we can't get there from here. And it was talking about the provision of training as opposed to affecting the work. Because when we, and what it refers to is by creating curriculum of isolated skill sets built on generic content with only allusion towards um, the work itself and the context, then we can't predictably and reliably affect performance. Nick, that was 1969 and I'm on your show in 2023 talking about exactly the same thing. So the answer is no, we cannot get there from here. And the reason is, is is that if we don't understand the problem that we're trying to solve, then we can spend $400 billion on a solution and still make no impact. And that 
is where a lot of learning and development is right now. So what we need to do is we need to understand the problems that we that we need to solve from a performance perspective, from a transitions perspective, and from an internal mobility perspective. We need to understand the critical points of failure in our organizations that require our attention. And once we've understood them, that they are a problem, uh, the, the consequences of that problem, so that we've got data that says, yep, that, that is something that we need a team like learning and development to focus on, then we have our ground zero. And then what we can do is we can iterate in order to make a planned meaningful difference because the alternative is to do what I've been seeing in this profession for 25 years, which is waiting for the next silver bullet to reframe what, what the perceived problem is, which is usually um, both sold to us as a problem and a solution by a market that's never worked in learning and development and then make no difference. But we need to, with the, the opportunity, for us right now is uh, AI, generative AI is going to allow us to do all the bottom-up work in seconds. So that will enable us to then do the stuff that makes an actual difference. Because I've said, said it before, if we think this is about faster courses, we are going to miss this huge opportunity that's right in front of us. And I'm not, I'm not hammering your words there, Nick, with the, with the courses part. I was listening to a, a Josh Bursin uh, podcast this morning uh, where he was talking about the opportunity of generative AI being faster courses, and I thought it's absolutely it's, not. It's a risk for me. I mean, I, I, I'm quite passionate about you know, using ChatGPT wisely. It's a great product, but if you, it's a bit like someone putting a post on LinkedIn, right? If you're using ChatGPT to create it, don't post it. If you've got nothing to say, don't say it is my view. If you've got something to say, then you say it. Don't use a computer. That's what social media platforms are there for you to have a voice. It's like having a podcast. I have something I want to say. So I have a show. I don't have a computer doing it for me or I wouldn't be. That's the bit. And I think there are people publishing books now in, 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 that they haven't written and you lack that context piece. Mm. You use ChatGBT for payroll articles, for example. Um, I, I have a payroll podcast as well. It doesn't generate anything that's worth any value whatsoever because it doesn't understand the context of the industry. And that really highlights to me some of the risks associated with it. But what was, I thought was really interesting, what I hadn't heard that phrase before, so it's um, we won't get there from here. But it links synonymously with a phrase that I use quite a lot, which is, well, got, what got you here won't get you there. So very yeah. similar. Well, I use that a lot in the payroll industry because, you know, payroll, I've got another podcast called The Payroll Podcast. And on the payroll professionals now are often resistant to change. It sounds to me like L&D is in a similar spot in certain degrees because they say we're already paying people on time and compliantly. Why change it? I mean, that's fine. That's the, the, the very least you should be doing. Actually, if you change now, what is it you're not doing about you know, HR data you could be reporting, the trends you could be identifying, and actually the ability to be more strategic in the way that you view a payroll operation? It sounds to me there's the L&D profession is in a similar spot right now we don't sometimes resistant to change because what we've done we think is working but we're not really measuring that impact well enough and therefore we are closing ourselves off to opportunities which could far outstrip what we're achieving at the moment and not just in terms of L&D but actually how it can improve talent traction retention all those things as well one question I have before we open the vault um, for you David is I've done a few shows in this in the past where pre-pandemic admittedly the new thing for L&D was all about um, VR virtual reality and changing the way that we look at things, making uh, L&D more immersive. That was a great um, podcast I did, which was talking about um, how we can use VR to improve our understanding of diversity and inclusion and equity in the sense that you can almost put yourself in somebody else's shoes and feel what it's like and having that kind of um, experience. We talked about experience right at the start of the show. Where does that now sit in the L&D agenda? Have we moved on from that already with the speed of AI? Does it still have a place? Is that still seen as cutting edge or, or, or have, I, have we missed the boat on that? 
So uh, um, there's, there's two answers uh, uh, for that, Nick. Um, the first one is acknowledging that emotion is such a huge part of 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 the work and life experience that anything immersive that can help uh, uh, generate the emotion that you'd gain in a situation is only going to help with retaining that. But on the same side, learning and development falls into this trap of looking for a new and novel way of delivering the same old rubbish. And, <laughs> and, and uh, we think, so, so, so one of the mistakes here, you talked about, uh, about uh, perpetual mistakes in, uh, in payroll. One of the perpetual mistakes in learning and development, we think our role is in delivering learning and it isn't like we, like whatever we choose to do. And it could be, um, uh, short instructions on a post-it note or an immersive VR experience. It's to impact the way the work is done in order to deliver the expected results. And that is so the business gets what it needs from its people today and people improve their prospects by doing more of the right stuff in our organizations. But we don't. We buy into all of this stuff thinking if we just put our stuff in this, they'll get it. This is why there's so much conversation about learning culture, which drives me nuts, because what that says is if people change, if the if the hundred thousand people in our organization change, they'll appreciate what we do. Oh my goodness. What about if the 10 people in L&D spent less time navel gazing and delivering the perfect course and actually went and spoke to people about what it is they're expected to do and what they're not able to do easily or effectively? If you got a thousand of those people to start delivering more uh, uh, the, the expected performance and then getting the results, that's still a thousand more than you would do from the next silver bullet uh, initiative that will be run that isn't designed to affect the work it's designed to deliver learning so this is where we're stuck at the moment and i think that it is only what what marketing went through um 20 years ago or so marketing being the other art in learning and uh, in in an organization uh, but then it became a science um that that you can pretty much predict the more you spend and the more that you do is as long as you've worked out what actually works for you the more leads you get the more customers that you get and this is what learning and development needs to do see that your role is in all of those people experience things that help people to do more of the right stuff at the time that they need and the organization requires them to. So the upskilling and reskilling isn't just another buzzword like competencies and behaviors were, you know, a decade or two ago, another top-down initiative in order to, to um, co-opt people into work, working in a certain way. But upskilling and reskilling means actually delivering so that people uh, are uh, more efficiently, effectively able to transition into and through our organization and then uh, reskilled as at a time when their profession or their role, their task, their department and the organization actually requires, but in a meaningful, planned and predictable and reliable way. So, so your answer there is, look, look, VR can be really powerful. But when I saw that, I thought, oh, here we go. Another, yeah. you know, a few more. Another shiny thing. Another yeah. shiny thing that thinks, right, that learning and development go, right, now people will get it. And they're going, they won't. I think what's, um, what I picked out from, from that response, you talked about, you know, if just, a, if just a thousand people, I think you said, you know, took this on and, and engaged and, and got benefit from this and, and really had it, were able to have an impact, it brought Pareto's law into play for me. So if you've got a 50,000 employee organization, there's a good chance that those thousand people that are engaged are probably responsible for 80% of the revenues performance anyway. So actually, you're much, sometimes much better focusing on the thousand that actually have the, the greater contribution to an organization's success 
than trying to find a one-size-fits-all approach to the entire or the other 90% that actually are probably potentially more challenging in other ways anyway in terms of needs or requirements or, or, or aspiration or motivation or whatever it might be. So I thought it was quite interesting because actually we often spend too much time as, as, as leaders in organisations trying to please everybody mm. and sometimes neglecting actually the top performers. They're okay. They don't need it. They're already performing here. Whereas actually, if you invested in those, imagine what they could perform. And imagine, you know, sometimes I think we can, uh, and I work in a, you know, I manage a sales team, so I get this. Sometimes it's easy to neglect those that are performing really, really well and focus too much on those that are struggling. Yeah. Um, and I think it was an interesting concept. But if I'm going to open the uh, HR and vaults, uh, three short, sharp questions for you. I'd love to get your view. If you can give one piece of advice to the world, what would it be? To the whole world or to learning and development? The whole world in a context of learning and development. <laughs> um in, oh crikey! Um, where's the data? I'd say find the yeah find the data. Uh, well, I think we act far too much on uh, uh, on uh, on opinion and uh, and gut instincts. I think that uh, that that if we we listen more to our scientists and our experts, um, and we found a way of connecting with their message, I think that we probably wouldn't be at the mercy of demagogues and lunatics as much as we perhaps are. <laughs> Nice. Perfect. If you had the opportunity, what advice would you give to a younger you just starting out in this new world of work? Um, to ask yourself, what are the transferable skills that that you are learning right now? Because I saw work as a nuisance. Um, I was I thought I was going to be a rock star, Nick. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I thought that that this was just a part time job until I got there. Uh, but I didn't realize that I was learning um very very important life skills at the time great and for those that can't see i know you can see the guitars behind me down to <laughs> left he showed me before we joined on show he's got a, a litany of guitars down there loads of them previous band members so he's got a lot more skill than i do i think i could tell he could play because they weren't on the wall so there you go <laughs> uh, last question what is the, the single guiding principle or behavior you've seen in every great leader that you've worked with oh dear um i'd say that they really cared um the ones that really stood out weren't the ones going through the motions and asking how my family were they they really cared uh and i don't think they just cared about me they cared about everything that they were doing and helped to join the dots um yeah it probably sounds a bit fluffy but but the ones yeah, that stood that, out for me truly cared the most common responses of empathy and kindness we're not really miles away from those which is mm. it's good to get your take well, for those that want to find out more uh, about uh, 360 Learning or indeed want to connect with David James, I will, of course, put links to David's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Click straight through. There'll also be a link to his website, uh, the LD Collective, and also the Learning and Development Podcast. If you've listened to this show and you enjoy it and you want to find out more about the LD journey, uh, David's released numerous episodes. I've listened to a few before this show. Great content. So do go and follow the link in the show notes to find that as well. Subscribe to both channels. If you haven't subscribed to mine already, do so and then subscribe to David's and you'll get great content from two shows. Uh, there's a blog on there as well, 360learning.com forward slash blog and an L&D masterclass series. So have a look in the show notes, click through the links and explore the website. There's loads to offer. And obviously you can follow David as well on Twitter at David in Learning. Uh, at David in Learning. So have a look at that Twitter handle as well. Anything else you'd like to add, David, in terms of our listeners may be able to find out more? No, I think you've, uh, you've, that's a comprehensive list, Nick, and you've done a great job uh, uh, sneaking those all in. Yeah, no worries. Well, so click on the show notes and you'll also find access to our website as well if you're interested in finding the services of a specialist HR and recruitment agency. 
We were at www.jgarecruitment.com. I would love to show you what a great HR recruitment experience can feel like, particularly if you are suffering that kind of churn that David mentioned earlier in the show. We can reduce that with great talent. So do get in touch with either myself or any of my wonderful colleagues. And again, the link will be in the show notes. Just leaves me to say a huge thank you once more to David James for joining me on the HRND podcast. I look forward to being the next episode real soon. Thank you, David. That's it for today's episode of the HR L&D podcast. I hope you found this discussion informative and thought-provoking and that it gave you actionable insights to help you drive your HR agenda forward. Please remember to subscribe to the show so you never miss a future episode. And I'd also love to hear from you. So if you enjoyed this show, please do leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback helps me to ensure I can continue to bring you the topics and guests that matter most to you. Oh, and don't forget to share this show with your colleagues and fellow HR leaders as well. The more we spread the word, the more we can grow our community of HR professionals who I know are all as dedicated to driving the future of work forward as I am. Thanks, of course, for tuning in. My name is Nick Gay. Please do look me up on LinkedIn and send me a connection request. It would be great to get connected. In the meantime, I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the HR L&D podcast real soon.